You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spate. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, New Hope. We have started a new sermon series. The new sermon series focuses on the cross. Focuses on the cross of Jesus and the different things that his crucifixion did for us. Last week, we looked at the way that the cross is involved in relieving our guilt. We come to the cross recognizing our guilt and he takes our sin on himself, cancels that sin, and then gives us righteousness. Today, we're going to look at weakness. Because not only does Jesus resolve our guilt problem on the cross, he resolves our weakness problem on the cross. Now, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 3, after the resurrection of Jesus and He appeared to the disciples and he gave them a commission. Um, They went about their everyday life. One day Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. And as they went there, scripture goes on telling us that some men brought a man who had been lame from birth. And the reason they were bringing him was so that he could beg at the entrance to the temple. So scripture tells us that the men put him down. He began to beg and he saw Peter and John and he looked at them and he said, please give me money. Peter responded, I don't have any silver or gold for you. Now that is probably truer than we even like to admit. You see, the disciples had been with Jesus for three years. They had, in essence, been unemployed for three years, or at least unemployed in terms of of fishing or carpentry or a day journeyman, whatever it is that they did. They suspended for three years. So when Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, it wasn't that he was saying, hey, I left my wallet at home. All I have here is uh, plastic. No. He didn't have any silver or gold. He could easily have sat down by the lame man and begged for money too. He was poor. And yet Peter didn't see his poverty as an obstacle to the ministry. And so Peter went on. The full quote, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I do have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Scripture says that he reached down and he grabbed the man and he pulled him to his feet. And for the first time in his life, the man began to walk around. Peter and John looked at the man and they realized what this man needs is a solution to his weakness. And they 
through Jesus, had the means to resolve that weakness. So they reached down, picked him up, and he walked back home from the temple. And so it is with all of us. All of us have weakness. And we come to the cross recognizing our weakness. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 verse 6, when we were utterly helpless, when we were totally weak, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. We come to the cross with the problem that affects us most. In this case, it is our weakness. And Jesus, from the cross, looks down on us and says, let me take that weakness from you. Now in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew has just gotten done talking about the number of people that Jesus healed. And Matthew, the author, comments on those healings by quoting the book of Isaiah. He said, this fulfilled the word of the Lord through Isaiah the prophet who said, he took our sicknesses. Now that's a good translation. But the word there literally means he took our weakness. He took our weakness on himself and removed our diseases. That word, both in Greek and Hebrew, literally means weakness, but it's used to talk about disease or illness. It's used to talk about disability, lameness, or, or uh, being a paraplegic, being infirm in some way. It's also used to simply talk about weakness, the absence of power. Raises the question when we say we go to the cross in our weakness, what are we talking about? What kind of weaknesses can present themselves to us? It could be an illness. It could be a disability. It could be poverty. Now the vast majority, looking at worldwide figures, the vast majority of the world lives in poverty under what we would consider here in America the baseline of poverty. Could refer to abusive relationships. Could refer to being in a relationship with someone who has power over you and abuses that power, whether physically or, or sexually or, or verbally. It can refer even to something as simple as a hostile work environment. There's someone over you who is exerting power in a way that is painful to you. That is weakness. So what does weakness do to us? Well, weakness can cause physical symptoms, things like stomach issues, from an upset stomach to an ulcer. Weakness 
can cause increased heart rate, increased breath rate. It can cause fatigue and not the kind of fatigue when you get home after a long hard day's work and say I'm tired but the kind of fatigue that you don't recover from. Weakness can cause muscle tension, muscle pain. It can change your sleeping patterns. You find it hard to fall asleep or you find it hard to stay asleep or you wake up and you're not rested. There are emotional responses as well. Anxiety, irritability, panic attacks. There can be changes in your eating patterns. Maybe you binge, maybe you eat too much, maybe you lose all appetite and eat nothing. It can cause you to think about harming yourself. You look around, you see these symptoms. These symptoms are prevalent in our society. Typically, they occur in someone who has felt a loss of power. They feel totally and completely weak. So what can we do about it? Well, the good news is that Jesus came to die for that very weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 tells us, although he was crucified in weakness, he now lives by the power of God. Paul then says about himself, we too are weak, just as Christ was. But Paul was dealing with an issue in the Corinthian church and he said, now when I come to deal with you, we'll be alive with him and we'll have God's power. Paul says, I am weak, but Jesus gives me his power. We come to the cross, we say, I'm weak. There's nothing I can do about that weakness. Jesus says, let me take that weakness from you. And there on the cross, he cancels that weakness. And in turn, he gives us his power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people, about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. Jesus says, I will give you my power. The power of the Holy Spirit who comes to be with you. Jesus takes our weakness and he gives us his power. I was trying to think of a good example. Someone who was born in weakness, but the Lord changed him. Frederick Douglass was born as a slave in the early 1800s. His mother was single. His father was probably the master of the house, but Frederick didn't know. He didn't even know his birthday. They didn't keep records of slave births. 
He was born in 1818 or 1819. His mom called him my little Valentine. So he assumes that he was born on February the 14th, but he didn't know for sure. When Frederick was seven years old, his mother died. And so the master of the house sold Frederick to another slave owner. And on and on. He was in several different houses. During this period of time, he was sold to a house where the master believed that the slave children should receive education too. So he opened a schoolhouse on his plantation just for the slaves. And he taught them how to read using the New Testament. It was then that Frederick became a Christian. The schoolhouse lasted until the neighboring farmers heard about it. Stormed the schoolhouse one day with clubs. Drove the children out. And that was the end of school. Frederick was sold again. Eventually, he ended up in this man's house, Thomas Ald. Thomas Ald was a prominent shipbuilder in Maryland. He was not a good man. He beat Frederick. He whipped him when Frederick didn't do what he thought he should do. By the time Frederick turned 18, he fell in love with a free black woman in Baltimore. Her name was Anna Murray. Anna gave Frederick a sailor's uniform, some forged papers, a little bit of money, and a train ticket. And Frederick ended up in New York City. When he got to New York City, he asked around to the people that Anna had told him to find. He found them. He sent for Anna. They were married a week later. He looked for a church to attend, wanted to attend a Methodist church, went there, but it was segregated. And Frederick said, no, I will not live my life that way. So he found an African Methodist Episcopal church and he began to attend there. Harriet Tubman also attended that church. Harriet was a huge voice in the anti-slavery movement and Frederick also became a voice in the anti-slavery movement. Few years passed, Douglas's friends were afraid that Ald would send someone to kidnap him, take him back to Maryland so he could continue being his slave. So they paid for a ticket and they sent Frederick to England and Ireland where he toured and he lectured on slavery in America. He lectured about his own life. Thomas Ald became a well-known name. He was the great American villain, the epitome of a slave owner who abused his power and subjugated his slaves by force. After two years, Douglas returned to America. His followers, he had been raising money for the anti-slavery movement. His followers wanted him to stay. He said, it's too dangerous. He said, my wife is there. 
My cause is there. So he came back. Soon he became an advisor to newly elected President Lincoln. And then the Civil War broke out. Now Lincoln ran for a second term. Douglas didn't support Lincoln in his second term. You know why? I discovered something this week. The Emancipation Proclamation did not free all slaves. The Emancipation Proclamation freed slaves in the Confederacy. But slaves in the border states and slaves in the north, and there were slaves in the north, continued to be slaves. Douglas looked at Lincoln and said, it's not enough. He supported others for president. He became well-known. He began to rise in prominence, in influence. It was in part because of Douglas's influence that in 1865, Congress passed a constitutional amendment that outlawed slavery. In 1868, they passed an amendment that gave freed slaves citizenship, men and women both. And in 1870, they passed an amendment that gave freed slave men the right to vote, but not freed slave women, because no woman had the right to vote in 1870. That's just the way it was. That is a great story of someone who moved from weakness to power. But that is not why I tell you this story. In 1877, Thomas Ald became ill. He was on his deathbed. Frederick found out about it, and he went to see him. Frederick writes about this in the last of his three autobiographies. And he said that he went into Ald's bedroom and saw him lying there. Ald looked at him and he addressed him as Marshall Douglas because Douglas had been made the U.S. Marshal of the District of Columbia. He implemented the will of the president in Washington, D.C. He had been ambassador of the United States to the country of Haiti. In just a few years, he would become the first black vice presidential candidate ever. Serving as running mate to the first woman to run for president in the United States, Victoria Woodhull. Now, full disclosure here, Frederick was not at the assembly that named Victoria Woodhull their presidential candidate. It was a small party. He didn't attend. They made Victoria 
their candidate for the presidency, and she said, my running mate is Frederick Douglass. He had no clue. <laughs> she didn't ask him, and when they eventually told about him, he said, uh, no thank you. <laughs> but for a while, he was the first black vice presidential candidate. Ald and Douglas were now face to face. Ald said, good evening, Marshall Douglas. Frederick said, no. I'm not Marshall to you. I'm Frederick to you, as I always have been. And Ald began to cry. Douglas sat down, took Ald's hands in his own. And together, holding hands, they talked about the past. They talked about the present. Now, Douglas had made all the household name. He was the great American villain, the epitome of the evil slave owner. Douglas did not go to apologize for that. But he didn't go to gloat over Ald either. Ald was a shipbuilder. Yeah, that's, that's a good position. But Douglas was U.S. Marshal of the District of Columbia. Douglas was a former ambassador. Douglas held the power. But Douglas didn't go to gloat. In his own words, in his autobiography, he said, here we were in a sort of final settlement of past differences, preparatory to Ald's stepping into the grave, where all distinctions are at an end, where the great and the small, the slave and his master are reduced to the same level. Douglas didn't go to seek forgiveness. He went to seek reconciliation. Douglas met with his enslaver and he stood straight, held his head high because Jesus had given him a different kind of power, not the power to abuse, not the power to enslave, but the power to change. Jesus gives us that kind of power. You see, when we're in an abusive relationship, frequently we might want power, but typically the power that we want is the power to abuse the one who is abusing us. Or the power to get even for what has been done to us. God doesn't give us that kind of power. That kind of power is never good. It wasn't good when they abused us with that power. It wouldn't be good if we abused them with that power. God gives us the power to change. He gives us the power to confront whatever circumstance we're in. Hold her head high and walk away victorious. 
The circumstance might not even change. But we've changed. We're different. We can live victoriously, even in the middle of that kind of abuse. So once Jesus gives it that power, what do we do? Now, if you remember last week, we said that Jesus takes our sin on himself on the cross, and in exchange for that, he gives us his righteousness. Then he says, go out and live righteously. Today, Jesus takes our weakness on himself on the cross, and he gives us his power, but it's the power to be different, to be new, to be changed, and to live sometimes even in the midst of the circumstance that's causing us pain, but live victoriously. And then what? What do we do with the power once we get it? All through scripture there's a pattern. Whatever we receive from God, we give away. He blesses us so we can be a blessing. He provides for us so we can provide for others. And now he empowers us so we can empower others. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about this inside the church. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility, now who does their refer to? It's back to that list, the pastors, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. The people who are in leadership positions here at the church are God's gift to you. The pastors, the teachers, the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists. So what are they supposed to do? Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. The responsibility of the leadership of the church is not to go out and do the work. It's to prepare you to go out and do the work. The power that God has given us, we give to you. And as you go out doing the work, the power that God gives you to do that work, give it away. Get other people engaged and involved. And the cycle repeats again and again and again. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work, to build up His church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Paul talks about this inside the church. 
It's true for you as well. In whatever job the Lord has placed you, you are Christ's body in that job. Take that responsibility seriously. Whether that's manufacturing or sales or transportation or service industry, be Jesus to the people around you. Work with Jesus' power, the power to change who you are. What are we saying? All we're saying is that for us to be Jesus in every corner of our culture, wherever God has placed us, it's not just the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teacher who do God's work. It's not even primarily them. They are simply there to train you to do what God has called you to do wherever he has placed you. Receive his power to do just that. And as you do it, give away his power to everybody around you. Empower those around you. Be different. Make a difference. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.